Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 370. A pre-Rosh Hashanah special edition. This program is dedicated in merit of Baruch bin Yomim ben Menucha Lana, Miriam, Miriam bas Chayasara Altais, and Yukosil ben Rodeya Rochel, Rochel bas Liva Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Tadras ben Miriam, Asara bas Rochel Altais. Rosh Hashanah coming up literally tomorrow, Tomorrow night. So I want to wish everyone a Teva, a very blessed and healthy year in all matters, physical, spiritual, personal, professional, nachas from yourself, from your children, grandchildren, and in general, a year of uh, only good news where each of you and each of us fulfill the purpose and mission for which we were sent to this world and ultimately a year of Geula, Gula Amitiz Vashlema. And Tovshin Nunbeis, the Rebbe named that year Nunbeis, Teheshnas Nefloiz Bakoil. So, based on that, we can say Teheshnas Ploiz Bakoil. May there be wonders in everything, not just that we do things on a regular basis, but in a wonderful way, in a wondrous way, in a way that, is, that elicits and creates awe and wonder. Pella. So this explains that Pele goes far beyond. Aleph is the same letters like Pele. Aleph goes on Chochmah. Pele goes on Keser. In simple English, it means beyond the regular structure of existence, but a transcendent state. And we draw that transcendence into our beings. So a good place to begin is just a few days ago, there was a flood, uh, heavy rains that caused damage and unfortunately took lives as well. So let me begin just with that because it's so timely. Well, this week's heavy rains a sign that Hashem is cleansing the neighborhood to get it ready for Mashiach. Well, whenever there's a tragedy and anyone gets hurt, it's very difficult to start calling it signs. We have to first be sensitive to the losses. At the same time, everything that happens is divine providence, and there's no question that we learn lessons from it. A mabel, we've had a mabel, a flood, not quite like the great flood back in time of Noyach, but a mabel is a sign from heaven that... On one hand, yes, brachas, gishme bracha, but gishme bracha, rains of blessing, also need to be measured and absorbed properly. So is it a wake-up call? I am sure it is. Again, it should always be in ways that do not take lives, that do not hurt anyone, do not frighten anyone. But right before Rosh Hashanah, with everything else that has gone on the year 5781 this past year, it's not surprising that we have yet another deluge, another disruption, another uh, challenge. It also destroyed Sifre Teda, unfortunately, which is not a positive thing. So we have to look at it on both sides of it, appreciating and being sensitive to the negative, but also trying to learn lessons from the fact that from heaven something is flowing, but perhaps it has to flow in a way that can be contained in our containers. As I mentioned before, Pella, the Flois, Ploies Bakoil, Pella, uh, has to be in a way that we can also enjoy it and internalize it because the whole point of Geula Mashiach is Eris Deteyu Bekelem Detikun in the words of the Rebbe on Chavches uh, 30 years ago Chavches Nisan Tavshin Nun Aleph Eris Deteyu means a uh, abundant and beyond abundant very intense and very powerful energies but in Kelem Detikun in powerful containers so there's they're commensurate and they can work together and that's ultimately what Geula is, a transcendent energy that comes into our containers. Going straight to Rosh Hashanah, Chassidus applied to Rosh Hashanah 5782. So I'm going to read a bunch of questions that have come in from many different directions, also from previous years that I did not cover regarding Rosh Hashanah. And this special year, as the Alter Rebbe says in the Gerasakedah Simin Yudalad, which I think is a good introduction to everything Rosh Hashanah related, that on Rosh Hashanah, the new energy, a new and renewed energy that never existed before, unprecedented, enters into our lives, into existence. So that can tell you, that just shows you what kind of opportunities we have. It's not just another day, a whole new energy enters. And the same is true with the year Tavshim Pebeis, a completely new energy. Our challenges and our gift is to make the containers, again, a er chadosh, a new transcendent energy, but it has to make containers, so we should be able to contain it, internalize it, and integrate it. 
So with that, let's go in order of a bunch of different questions. What are some of the things that Rebbe did at Rosh Hashanah to prepare for a new year? Oh, I'm sure there are many things that Rebbe did privately. The things that we know that he did publicly, and the things that over the years, was, of course, as all men Yisrael, was uh, we do the davening, the special davening of Rosh Hashanah, then followed by Hataras Nedarim, where we disavow any of our vows in front of a Bezdin. In the year Tov Shinon Beis, actually 30 years ago, the Rebbe also spoke right after Hataras Nedarim, both from the Bima on the platform, and then when he came down and gave a bracha, that was unique. The next thing the Rebbe did was every year, Rav Rosh Hashanah, they would read, Chassidim would come to the Rebbe and read a pan kloli, and the Rebbe would give a bracha. That year, 30 years ago, which would be the last time we heard a bracha from the Rebbe on Erev Rosh Hashanah, Rebbe Rosh Hashanah the Rebbe spoke about Yema Din, Rosh Hashanah being Day of Judgment, but the whole point of Judgment, Din, is that v'shavto they shall judge the nation, but they shall preserve them, save them. Because the point of din is not din as an end in itself, not judgment as an end in itself, but to lead to a deeper level of chsadim and rachamim, of kindness and compassion. And Rosh Hashanah was a, a holy day, a sacred day as you prepare for Rosh Hashanah. It was very, felt a certain awe. So these are some of the things we saw the Rebbe doing. They said something, I'm sure the Rebbe did many things we did not see. But of course, when the Rebbe would enter the Shul Rosh Hashanah, First night, Rosh Hashanah, felt a certain sense of majesty, a certain sense of newness. It was very, it was quite unique and awesome. And of course, Rosh Hashanah itself, the Rebbe blowing Shefer, and we heard and saw that, that was itself another experience. But we're talking about Erev Rosh Hashanah, and in general, the goal is, and the objective of this day, is to prepare ourselves for the Er Chadash, for this new energy, for all the blessings, for the Ksiva Teva, the, meaning the being inscribed in the Book of Life, a day that will determine the destiny of the entire year. So it's a day, a serious day that prepares us, and especially as we come from Elul, a whole month of preparation. This is the culmination of Elul. And as we go into Rosh Hashanah, as the Alter Rebbe says, that's why the Pasuk says, uh, From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, God's providence, God's eyes are upon the land. Why does it say, if it's from the beginning to the end, it just say, Kol Hashanah. So he answers because and Reishis is written without an Aleph, Chosad Aleph, because at the end of the year, there's a Chosad Aleph, there's missing an energy goes into a comatose state in order to be renewed for the new, new year. And that's why every year you say Reish Hashanah vat because then in a sense the contract expires. So that's Erev Rosh Hashanah literally. And then through our davening and through Tzkiyah Shefer on Rosh Hashanah, we draw down this new energy. So that's the significance, the power of this day called Erev Rosh Hashanah. What is something practical we can do Erev Rosh Hashanah to get, ready spirit, to get ready spiritually in order to maximize our positive entry into the new year? Thank you and Happy New Year. So one of the things is taking a resolution that to do something you haven't done before. The Rabbeim, we're told, would add a new hidr, a new special care, or a new emphasis, or more commitment to different mitzvahs that they did. It can be learning a little extra Torah every day. It could be other commitments that are positive things, mitzvahs and stoke, or uh, greeting others, uh, guests, and other things of that nature. So a great way to make a keli for Er Chodesh is to do something Chodesh. To do something new makes the best container to draw down new energy. Now we also know Rosh Hashanah is a day when we blow shefer. So we blow shefer in order to crown God and coronate God as king. So a question has been asked, why does a king need to be coronated every year? Was King David or Shlomo coronated every year or just once on their first day on the job and it lasted for their lifetime? Isn't Hashem the king forever and ever? On Rosh Hashanah, we seem to treat the situation as, we, as if we gave Hashem a one-year trial run as a king, and now we want to renew the contract. Well, the explanation I gave before about Rosh Hashanah, but Rosh Hashanah answers that question. That's true, indeed, that when it comes to the coronation of a regular king, regular, I mean, Malchi Yisrael, Malchi Beis David, like David HaMelech, Shleim HaMelech, once they're coronated, you don't need to coronate them every year. Though we have to constantly renew our commitment, but when it comes to Rosh Hashanah of the world and the coronation of God as king, we're talking about the creation of existence itself. 
it is the reason that the Ebrister chose to create a world is because he wants to be king on this world, that we have a relationship with God and that he be seen as the leader, the authority that we accept willingly. Willingly. So that's why every year it starts anew because it's not just about coronating God. It's our renew, renewing our contract in this relationship that the world should be recreated anew and we should be given a new year a blessed year and all that that comes with it. So it's a good question. In that sense, the coronation of a king below is not necessarily exactly as it is above. Though we, saw, we say, that the kingship below is like the kingship above. But nevertheless, in this context, here we also have the additional element of a, con- a total renewal of all the hashpahs and amshachas. Is there something similar in the kingship below? Maybe it needs to be looked into but that's the, the ultimate answer. It also goes back to a, renew, a renewal. If we would just coronate once God as king, it would lack the element of renewal that's necessary, so important to life. That it shouldn't be mitzvah sanoshim alamada, which means mechanical, robotic commitment, but one that we're constantly renewing every year, and then, of course, every day, in a, more, in a smaller sense of the word, in a more microcosmic sense. Next question, we start talking about many questions around shefer. Mitzvah sayem b'shefer. The main mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is shefer, blowing the shefer, a ram's horn. Which is a horn from the ram, which is uh, properly prepared, that releases the sound. So dear Rabbi Jacobson, what is the reason for the different shefer sounds? Can you please give an explanation to the meanings of the different notes we sound on shefer and their importance? Is there a connection between blowing the shefer and Rosh Hashanah and remembering the Akedah? Did Avram take a ram's horn and go toot toot? and tooted to celebrate Yitzhak's survival at the Akedah and the foiling of Satan's plot to have Yitzhak killed, which would have subsequently been the end of our nation. Therefore, besides the judgments and self-introspection, is Rosh Hashanah also a happy celebratory day because humanity survived another year. So first of all, there are ten reasons given. Avodraham brings ten reasons given for, for the blowing of the Shefer. I'm not going to go through all of them. One of them is indeed a reminder of Akedah's Yitzhak, the ram that replaced Yitzchak as an offering. And it is therefore a reminder of the Akedah every year. And as we indeed we read it, one of the readings of, Te- of Rosh Hashanah, the first day, the Akedah, the second day we read the entire story of Sarah giving birth and then the Akedah's Yitzchak. And we say it every day in Davening. And the reason for that is because this was one of the greatest acts uh, that done in history where Avram was ready to give up his own personal love for his father, for his son, in order to connect to Hashem. Now, God forbid, that's not what God wanted him to take his son, but it tested him. So we remind that, and we invoke that on Rosh Hashanah. So the blowing of the Shefer, which is about going into the depths of a person's heart. What deeper place than one of the experiences in history, Rav Ram had to go to a deeper place. As Bincha, as Yechidcha, Shalahafta, your only son that you love, to take him and bring him as a, to bind him and bring him as an offering, that comes from the deepest place within Avram's heart. We invoke that when we blow the shefer. So the ram was not just incidental. The ram's horn reflects that type of innermost cry that we cry out, which is what the sound of the shefer means in the first place. Why don't we just cry out with our voices, human voices? Because there's a certain simplicity. A human voice is ultimately driven by human structures, human conventions. When you bring an ayel, an ayel poshan, you bring a, a shefer shal ayel, which is a isle is an animal, a ram, and you use its horn, it has a far more pure element to it. It doesn't have any human intervention. It's coming from the deepest personal place. And that indeed, the different sounds of the shefer reflect three different cries, as the Gemara says. The long cry is like a wail. Then there's more like a fast cry, like a um, staccato type of sounds. And then there's, that's the, the, the true, and then there's the shvarim, which is, which is like, Mm, mm. more like long, dragged, drawn-out cries. Because they reflect three different ways that the soul can express itself. The, 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 the long wail, the tekiah, reflects an ongoing experience that we're feeling and we're crying out, and at least it manifests itself in a constant sound. So it's more tangible, more palpable. As, the tekiah, as it goes on, the next is a step where we have three Three or three or four, how many you make in the, in the, in, 
in the Shvarim that is still has sound, but now there are spaces of silence. So it's going deeper into the, into the heart of the human being and soul of the human being. And finally, the truah, which is the short sounds, is like almost like tears that you can't even control. It's almost it's a little sound and silence. Sound, silence, sound, silence. Silence always represents a deeper place because the Zoya says there's actually a fourth level, a kol of the leishtama, a voice that can't even be heard. So as Rosh Hashanah, we are meant to try to dig deeper into our innermost souls, express it in sound, which is greater than expression in words. There's koil bedibur. Those are words that we say in davening, including the the psuke, the, the nine psukim we say uh, we say malchus uh, but that's words. That's already a definition, and we need a definition because the blessings of Rosh Hashanah and the renewal we want into the structures of our lives. But we also want to move to a place that's transcendent beyond the structure. So the three sounds represent three levels of that, where there's sound, mostly sound, or all sound, but it's already not speech, it's just a wail from the shefer. Then there's sound and silence, and then there's much more sound and silence mixed together until we can reach to the place that's beyond any sound altogether. That's one of the explanations. For more explanations, you can look in different Sephardim Exodus. I collected a bunch of them in the book, toward, I'm sorry, in my book, 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to the Count. To <laughs> 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays. I'm mixing my books together. Where in the, in the, in the Hesophis there, in the back of the appendix, you'll find a whole section on prayer. I go through all the different explanations that are out there about, about in different Sephardim, about why we blow Shefer and all the different sounds. So if you want more material, please go there. Okay. The next question is, going back to, we're talking about shefer. If someone doesn't have a shefer in Rosh Hashanah, can they use a trumpet or another instrument? A bugle or kazoo or another instrument that makes similar sounds. Does the Bible specifically say it has to be a ram's horn? Well, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, Based on the different psukim, it says, yes, a ram's horn is preferable, but it can be a horn of another animal that may not be a ram, but that's bidievit, meaning only if you don't have one. But not anything outside of that. It has to be an animal, horn from an animal, a kosher animal, I should add, preferably, and first and foremost, an ayal, a, a ram. And uh, as I said, it has to be from an animal. So no, you can't use a bugle, you can't use a trumpet or anything like that. That's not shefer. Shefer is reflecting that sound that reflects the closest approximation to the sound and cry of our souls. Okay, that answers that question. Since we're talking already about um, the reasons for Shefer, so another question was, does it say somewhere that Shefer will, Shefer will be blown during Tchis HaMesim? Is it because a Shefer is so loud that it can wake the dead? Okay, I think that's probably tongue-in-cheek a bit. Wake the dead, I don't think a shefer could help physically for that. But spiritually, absolutely. I believe it's one of the ten reasons. So the shefer was sounded by the Matan Teira. There's this, the reason of Akedis Yitzhak. Another is that, It'll be the calling of the great shefer. That's associated with Mashiach in general, and particularly Tchiyas HaMesim. So the answer is yes. And it goes back to the same idea. What is God forbid a mess? A mess is where his body and soul have been separated. How do you reconnect them? By reaching deeper. A deeper place, which is the whole idea of a shefer, to reach a deeper voice within the soul, within the divine. From our depths. From our narrow constraints. From our, um, from our uh, different words you can use for meitzar. From distress. We call out to God. And God responds, with the expansiveness of the divine. So whenever we need to invoke and evoke that type of power, we blow shefer, which includes by Tchiyas HaMesim. Another question regarding this, is shefer an instrument of war? Was the shefer originally used as an instrument of war and the different tones and sounds gave instructions and directions to the troops? If so, is there a correlation between Rosh Hashanah and a war? Could it be the battle between good and evil? Well, there is a correlation, correct. First of all, the Torah talks about 
to make two trumpets. And trumpets were used. Even today, it's all used to confuse the enemy. It's used to also elicit confidence and power and courage by, for the military that are fighting. So shafers were used during war. The question is, what type of shafer? Were they a shafer shall ayel, meaning a ram's horn, or other types of, uh, of uh, trumpets? I mentioned before, trumpets as an instrument is not, is not to be used on Rosh Hashanah. You need a shafer shal. But the shafers were used, including uh, ram's horns, were used in different times of war. For Rosh Hashanah, it's not a physical war, but talking about a spiritual war. It, firstly, the war against our own resistance, a cry, like the Rambam says, even though Shefer is exerus akosov, meaning it's a dictate that God said without necessarily a reason, yet there's a remez because uri yeshenim mitir demaschem. It's about waking up those that are asleep. So, like a wake-up call. That's what the Shefer represents: a wake-up call. So, number one, a war with our own resistance. Number two, yes, to break through all the gzardin, all the different decrees from the negative forces in heaven that may block or try to impede the flow of the blessings. So Schaefer has that role as well. The role of breaking through, bound, uh, breaking through blocks and impediments and so on. Okay. What difference does it make who blows the Schaefer? If the mitzvah is to hear the sound that comes out of the Schaefer, what difference does it make who blows the shefer? Why can't a woman blow it for men? So first of all, the Allah is a woman cannot blow it for men. The reason being because it's a mitzvah shazman grama, which means it's connected to time. It's a time-related mitzvah. Men are responsible. Women are not. Even though women do go out of their way to, blow, to hear the shefer, and there are questions whether they can sound the shefer for each other, but because they're not as responsible as a man, that's why they can't blow shefer for Man, we're talking about besides other reasons of tznius or modesty and so on. But the point, the question here is not just about women in general. Why do you, who, who is chosen to blow the shefer, the sound of the shefer? It's considered to be the leader or the Yerushamayim, the greatest, most awe of God, awe, person has the most awe of God in the community. The Rebbe was the one that blew the shefer, as it was with the Rabbeim before him. And the reason for that is, one of the reasons, because Shefer is not just not blowing a trumpet. We don't need a trumpet blower. This is a spiritual call using a physical uh, ayel, a physical ram's horn. But it's a spiritual call. And the Pasuk says, Ashrei ha'om Beloved, cherished is the nation that yede, they know the sound. Yede surua, they know the sound. The question is, what does it mean to know a sound? You hear a sound. Shmaya trua, shemei trua. What means yede trua? So there's this beautiful story told brought in Hatamim with Altareb's son, who's already an older person. Didn't, Maril want, did not want, was home for Rosh Hashanah, and they were going to send a minion to blow Shefer for him. He was not well. He insisted, no, I'd like you to carry me in my bed to the shul. I want to hear my, grand, my grandnephew, which is the Tzemach Tzedek, hear the blow the Shefer, the grandson of the Altareb. They asked him, why? Why are you insisting? She says, because it says, Asher Om And he knows. It's more than blowing. It's not a sound. It's knowing the secret of the sound. Because the sounds of Shefer have a secret. We talked about them briefly earlier. They break through all the boundaries, all the boundaries, all the barriers. The secret of Shefer to reach the deepest parts of the divine, to reach the deepest part of the soul. So the person who blows the sounds of Shefer is, is, is vital. Now, obviously, if you don't have anyone else, anyone can blow a sound of shefer, according to halacha, under the right guideline, meaning anyone male and so on, that we mentioned before. But if you're going to choose, it makes a difference. So the sound has its power, but the one that sounds it also can add with kavona intention and so on. Okay, since we're still talking about shefer, let's talk about a few more elements of shefer. About facing east. Dear Rabbi, it is, customary that when, it is customary that when we daven, we faced east, so our voices carry our prayers toward our holy city of Jerusalem. I've noticed when the, that when the person blowing shefer faces east, the opening of the shefer, which is usually at a 90-degree angle from the mouthpiece, will face south. 
Is this not an issue? Should the person blowing shafer perhaps face his body north so the sound coming out of the shafer is directed east? Very interesting question. So all I can tell you is I'm, I'm a personal eyewitness many, many times. The Rebbe's faced east, faced the Oren Kedesh. And the shafer was indeed facing south as he blew the shafer. Definitely not facing east. So just that alone tells us we can rely on that. If you want the logic of it, perhaps, you can say based on what I just said. It's not just the sound of the shafer. It's not just the sound of our prayers. It's the direction in which we stand. And especially when it's so important to have the, the, the Baltikeya, the person who's sounding the sounds, be a person who's yede surua, so the direction he stands is also vital. The shafer, remember, can't be blown without a human being. It doesn't blow itself. Can't sound itself. So perhaps that's the bottom line. So when we daven, we faced east. Even if your mouth, for whatever reason, the sound may be coming out to the right or to the left. It's not just that the sound is coming out. It's that you, who are emitting the sound, is standing toward east, toward Eretz HaKedosh, Eretz Yisrael, and Yerushalayim. But it's an interesting question. Yeah. Do we have more Shafer? Yes, there are more Shafer-related questions. Looking at the Rebbe's face... Was there an emphasis to look at the Rebbe's face as he sounded the shafer? I remember as a small child in 770, someone told me to try to look at the Rebbe. And I pushed my way through the area. They called the washing machine and was able to see. It's talking about the area where everybody was crushed and pushing around right before the, the, the bima when the Rebbe blew shafer. But I don't remember what the reason was for looking at the Rebbe's face. If you remember and can enlighten us, I would appreciate it. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, and have a sweet new year. So there's no question people looked. I don't know if it was a mitzvah to look at the Rebbe's face. Um, you know, we do know that the face of the person who blows the shafer has to become red, and there is an element of being part of the whole process. But number one, looking at a tzaddik, especially doing a mitzvah to shafer, that itself is already an inyan. After the sounding of the shafer, we know the din is that the person who sounded the shafer, when he goes back to his place, he turns around as the Rebbe would do and, and to look at everybody. There, everybody tried their best to make sure the Rebbe sees them. Because there, it's part of the whole mitzvah of the one who sounded the shafer should look at the ones he was Yetzir. And of course, being the Rebbe, so people gazed at, the Rebbe gazed at them and the gaze returned. The actual sounding of the shefer, I think, was again because of its tzaddik. I don't know if I've ever seen that it's a mitzvah to watch, to look at the person who sounds the shefer. Um, it could be there is, and I'm just missing it. If someone catches that, I'll be happy to correct myself. But regardless, if it is part of a mitzvah to look at, or it's at least a custom is to look at the one who sounds the shefer, he's doing the mitzvah, it makes sense. That's what you would look at. Um, but the same thing is like, for example, a person who's a shliach tzibur, is leading at the, the omen, it only says by birchus keinim, when he says, you look at him. It doesn't say you have to look at the, the shleich tzibur, but it could be different by shefer. Regardless, as I said, after the kiyah shefer was, was for sure an Indian to do that. And uh, going back, the fact of seeing the Rebbe, to see the face of your teacher helps you understand, and I'm sure it also helps absorb and experience the awesomeness of the Rebbe's blowing shefer and the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. Do we have some more shefer? Yes, we do. <laughs> a lot of questions came in about uh, this topic. Shefer at night. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, to you and all your viewers. Thank you. Amen. What is the reason we are not supposed to blow shefer at night? Is the reason as simple as the Torah teaching us terecheretz and proper manners by not making loud, horn, loud sounds at night and waking up our neighbors? The din is, brought in Shulchan Aruch, the famous clearly that it says, not Laila, that Shefer should be blown by day, not by night. The basic reason is because the din and the Rachamim, which we, the whole purpose of Shefer is in the day of judgment, we are evoking Midas Rachamim, that Rachamim shines during the day more than during the night. Night is much more different type of energy, so to speak. That's the basic reason. I'm sure there are other reasons as well. 
that it's a day mitzvah, but that's what it says in uh, the Al Tareba brings it as well. It's, as I said, it's the beginning of Simon Tovkov Peiches and Neira Chaim. The Ramah does say that regarding Elul, that there are those that some that blow at night, or at least close to night after Maidiv. But that we're talking about, first of all, the Shoei Shefer Elul, not Rosh Hashanah Shefer. But there are, common, there are different opinions on that as well, what that means. Obviously, there are customs like that, so Ramosha and others, Paskins, that follow the custom. But we know that Kaminin Hanofut's the most, the most popular, the most um, sp- uh, spread, spread out custom, custom that's most spread, meaning by most people, is to blow by day in the morning. Okay. Yes, there's a few more. <laughs> I know. Why do Svardim use a much longer shafer than the rest of Klal Yisrael, Ashkenazim? Is it because they need a louder sounding shafer to atone for eating kidneys on Pesach? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have read that. That's a little uh, inappropriate. Sounds condescending. No. If they don't need to eat kidneys on Pesach, they don't need to atone. That means they're allowed to. I mean, kidneys is a takana that came in the Ashkenazi countries. So let me make that very loud and clear. And I don't appreciate... Uh, somebody being that condescending and dismissive. We'll, we'll, we'll dismiss it as something humorous. But especially before Rosh Hashanah, we are all Klal Yisrael, Sfardim and Ashkenazim, Kolonu Ke'echad, we're all one. Different customs does not change that fact. Why they blow longer shafers? I honestly, I don't know. I, I'm reading the question because I'd love to hear if somebody has any comments on that. I mean, there are different Kinhagim, for example, um, Esregim. You know, Chabad Esreg, Kalabria Esreg has a certain shape, and the others Jews much more longer asregim that look more like a banana. I don't mean that in a negative way, just to give it a description. Others more slender. So there are different customs, what is considered pre-Eitz Hadar, and the same even with matzahs. I don't know if you know, there's certain Sephardic type of taman and matzahs and other matzahs that are done very differently. They're all only flour and water. Obviously, everyone's following the guidelines of Teir, Teir Shabik Sav. But in that itself, there are different variations. So I've never heard anything about the longer shape frizz, but if anybody has any comment on that, I would love to hear about it. And two more Schaefer questions, and then we can move on. Similarities between Schaefer and other traditions. On the secular New Year, the Gentiles often blow whistles, ring bells, sound noisemakers, etc. at midnight. These customs are rooted in Babylonian and Mesopotamian paganism, where the belief is that by everyone making noises, they can scare away demons, evil spirits, and malevolent malevolent angels. So they can't interfere and prevent people from having a good new year. Are there any similarities to our community, Lahavdil, blowing a shafer and making loud noises on Rosh Hashanah? Is there a metamagical thinking that these sounds will scare away Shindalids and Yetzirahs? Is there a biblical source that says the vibrations and waves from a ram's horn can deter evil poltergeists or have a positive physical effect on our bodies? Regardless of whether the rituals we do have validity or are based on schizotypal obsessive disorders, I still would be like to wish you and the community a happy and healthy new year full of good news. Okay, as I always say, I will read questions even if they're skeptical or whatever tone they may have. Uh, this is borderline, so I read it. Um, first of all, if there are similar traditions, I would argue that the Jews were the first to do it. If you go back all the way to Schaefer, the earliest Schaefer you have, even in the time of Odomarishin, you talk about an ayel and shefer shalayel, and definitely by Martin Taylor and so on. If there are similarities, there may be that people have ripped off different Jewish ideas, and uh, I'm not nothing surprising about it. It's not nothing disturbing about it. But we are not doing it for any type of these paganistic reasons. God forbid. Shefer is a beautiful, pure mitzvah that's given in the Taylor to connect to Hashem in the deepest possible way, as we've been discussing. And yes, to get, cut through barriers and boundaries and all kinds of constraints and limits, to get through the distress or the narrowness of our lives and to reach a more expansive place. Beyond that, I'm, I never did a study. I'm not interested in doing a study of comparison. If somebody wants to find similarities and certain things that uh, traditionals, traditions in the secular world, you know, it'd be interest, always interesting. But we have enough richness in understanding Schaefer, and that's what I would focus on. And it's not just with Schaefer, there are other, there are other things as well that originate in Torah and Judaism that others have adapted or adopted in their own fashion, sometimes with distortion, sometimes without, sometimes very different, 
So nothing surprising about that. And finally, why is Shefer forbidden on Shabbos? Even though this year Rosh Hashanah is not on Shabbos, but someone asked, we are taught that the sages prohibited blowing Shefer on Shabbos, Rosh Hashanah, because someone might be tempted to carry a Shefer to Shul on Shabbos. Well, the exact lesson is, because everyone's responsible for Shefer, but not everyone's a Boki, an expert in Shefer. So they may want to ask a Rav or somebody a question, and they may carry a Shefer on Shabbos. But according to that logic, the sages should have also prohibited davening on Shabbos, Rosh Hashanah, because someone might carry a Machzer on Shabbos. Therefore, I'm guessing logically that there's something more here about the Shefer. Perhaps the sound waves from the Shefer would cause dissonance with the energy of Shabbos. Can you please enlighten us? Thank you, Rabbi, and have a sweet new year. So first of all, a bigger question is asked. It's a mitzvah says to the Raisa to, to sound Shefer on Rosh Hashanah. The chshash, the concern that someone may carry is on Yishfus, which is the Rabbonon. So why would a concern of the Rabbonon overweigh a mitzvah the Raisa, depriving Jews from a mitzvah, mamash, a mitzvah given one of the 613 mitzvahs? So Chassidus explains, then you have to say, because Shabbos actually draws down the same energy that Shefer does. And that's why when it's Shabbos, you don't need the Shefer. In the Beis Amigdash, it was even a higher Amshacha of, of Shefer, so that's why even, in the, even on Shabbos, they sounded the Shefer. Yud Gimel Tishrei, Tov Shemem, the Rebbe asked a, a very powerful question. So that's the reason why then does the Gemara say, because of the Gzeda, the Rabba, which is, means because of Shvus, because of carrying. So the Rebbe gives an explanation there, you can look it up, it's not relevant to our this year, so I'm not going to go into the details. So that's the bottom line about that point, about, about prohibiting other things to do. Now, a shefer is a mitzvah to have a shefer when you blow a shefer. Having a machzor or a siddur, you could have one of the shul, you know, you not have one. It's not, it's not the same scenario altogether. That's why we don't go straight because it's Shabbos, someone's going to carry, so they should not daven. <laughs> I don't see the comparison, to be honest. Okay. We covered the Shefer questions. Let's do a few more Rosh Hashanah since this is a special Rosh Hashanah edition. Just want to make sure I covered everything here. What's the best way to pray on Rosh Hashanah for financial success and abundant parnosa? Okay, very good question. Thank you, and may, and may everyone in the community have a sweet new year with an abundance of blessings. The first thing we have to know is that the Ebishter, we're confident, that's why we go wear white on Rosh Hashanah, because we're confident that we will merit and God will send us all those blessings, having that total confidence. What we're supposed to do? Well, that's why we're given all these mitzvahs of Rosh Hashanah, starting with the davening, the different customs, Shafer, of course. These are all, besides the things they accomplish, are also kalim. We're creating containers for the blessings. We spoke before, you need kalim, you need containers. Every blessing needs God's blessing manifests in a container. Someone wants to give you a gift and you don't have your hands open or you don't have pockets or you don't have a basket to contain it. The blessing comes, but you don't have how to internalize it. So the answer to that question is that we have to do everything possible to put our minds and our hearts and our actions, we'll call it cognitive, emotional, and behavioral conditioning to align ourselves to what Rosh Hashanah is about, which means letting go of the past and past grievances, letting go of past hurt and shortcomings, doing the proper tshuva, making amends, asking for forgiveness, which will lead to Kol Nidre, uh, disavowing our vows, our, our, bad, our commitments, freeing yourself up and being ready for a new year. So many of us go into the new year with the same baggage, with the same fears, the same depression, the same insecurities. That's not a good keli. I'm not saying that critically, because when your attitude is a negative one, and here you're ready to get a new energy, the new energy will not be able to enter. You have to create, we have to clear the air, cleanse the toxicity and the pollution. I mean that in a spiritual sense, in every possible way, in your life, in the life of your family, 
life of your, of, in every part of your life. And the more you do that, the more it's conducive to draw these blessings for parnosa and success in every possible way, financial and otherwise. That's the answer to that. Another question, this goes back to the story of the Baal Shem Tov. We know a famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. And here's dear Rabbi Jacobson, there's a famous Baal Shem Tov story where one year on the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, the Baal Shem Tov seemed very upset and was very serious all day. And at the end of davening, an illiterate, illiterate farmer's child walked into the back of the synagogue. The child didn't know how to daven, so he took, he, some say it was kukuriku, the cry of a rooster because he was a farm boy. Others say he was whistled. But there are different versions, but the kukuriku is the one that's most common that the Rebbe repeated. Suddenly the Baal turned around and started singing and dancing joyously. When asked for an explanation, the Baal said he was very serious because a very harsh decree was being decided in, decided in the heavenly courts, and all of the davening wasn't able to nullify the decree. When the farm boy, the farmer child, blew, well, here he says, whistle or kukuriku, he cried out like with a rooster's cry that he was so familiar with because he would wake up early on the farm and hear that cry. He did so with such pure intentions that the, that broke through the heavens and nullified the harsh decree. My question is, do we accomplish something similar to the farmer child by blowing the shofar? May everyone have a sweet and successful new year. May anyone having difficulties having children be blessed with healthy children and a surplus of parnosa, livelihood. Who knows? Maybe the child born in the new year will do something positive with pure intentions that will pierce through the heavens and create a decree that Mashiach must be revealed right away. Amen. Well, absolutely. Shafer, as I mentioned before, is not a human convention. It's not a human object. It's created by God, a ram with a horn, for the purpose that we use that horn to cry out, to call out. Its purity resembles the purity of that child. Now, what's the point? This is not a call for illiteracy, God forbid. It's not saying, okay, we should close our mouths and just cry out kukuriku. It's a call to remind us of sincerity. Rachmona libaboy. God wants our hearts, sincerity. Often we can just say words, it can be mechanical, by rote, even if you know the words. But there's a sincerity that this farmer child had that pierced the heavens. That was what the Baal Shem Tov was em- emphasizing. Shefer helps us reach that place. Just a cry of a child. A cry of a child without premeditated, without planning, without training. So we have to combine both. Our literacy should be done in a way that we express the inexpressible. That through the words we have and our education, we should not be bound by that, but we should use it as a stepping stone to reach to God with the sincerity and purity of this child. That's the message, and that's how we, what we need to learn, on that sincerity and integrity. Okay. A few more Rosh Hashanah-related questions. Why do we dip an apple in honey on Rosh Hashanah, the first night of Rosh Hashanah? What is the reason we dip an apple in honey on Rosh Hashanah? If it represents having a sweet new year, can it also be accomplished by dipping an apple in sugar or, or Pepsi with corn syrup or saccharine sweeteners? Is there something specific about a bee that regurgitates pollen to make honey? Or the fact that bees are violent, quick to anger, nuisance, stingy pests, but within that we try to find something sweet in them? Just as we hope God looks past our faults and mistakes and finds our source, which is sweet, and then blesses us with a happy new year. I've not heard that reason per se, but it's not a bad reason. So there's two things here. You could also say, why an apple? Why not another fruit? So there's different reasons given for it. There's mystical reasons. Mystical reason, one of them is that the apple represents chakal tapuchin kadishin. It's a very high spiritual level of sweetness relating to the source of sweetness that manifests in a sweet apple. And the honey as well. You have sugar, yes, you do have other sweet things. But honey has, dvash has its own particular power, that a level of sweetness that's deeper than the sweetness of other sweeteners. And the dipping, the apple and honey, represents those two levels of sweetness. Some say yes, that the honey represents his hapcha. A bee, which is an unkosher animal, creature, 
producing honey. So the honey is coming from the negative. So we say, Lashana Teva Masuka, Masuka, sweet. Can be a sweetness that's originally sweet or a sweetness that comes from something, from a stinger or from something that is able to produce that can be seen as negative and that is turned into a positive. So it's not just regular sweetness but a transformative sweetness. And other reasons that are given for this uh, custom. Okay. Simonim. What is the reason that some communities have the custom of simonim, eating a series of symbolic foods? And does Chabad follow this custom? Dear Rabbi Simon Jacobson, in some communities, in addition to dipping an apple in honey, they do something called the simonim, where they eat various different foods and say, may the characteristics of this particular food merit us in a particular way. Some actually call it a Rosh Hashanah Seder. Some do the similar on Tubushvat with fruits. Is this merely symbolic or is there a belief that by eating a certain type of food our fortunes will increase? And is there a reason that it's not the Chabad custom to do all the simonim? Even though it may not be the Chabad custom, I want to introduce, I want to introduce a new addition to the simonim. May the Torah Exodus we consume Sunday nights during this program be meritorious for our bodies and souls. May it permeate and better our lives. May it inspire us to increase in acts of goodness and kindness. May it give nachas to the Rebbe and his parents. And may all Jews be blessed with a sweet and successful new year filled with good news. So, Amen. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, well, Chabad, there are many different customs that the Rebbe speaks about, the, the, the Yud Gimel Ikrim. So some people say it, and the Chabad thinks about it. There are other things that we do that we don't do the action, but doesn't mean that there's anything not... That's not a rejecting the custom. It's just a question whether you actually do it with poel mamish. So we didn't see by the rabbeim in their meals the simonim. Though on the second night we do eat a new fruit, and some people have a bunch of different types of new fruit. So everything, starting with the Balshemtov's words that everything is a lesson in avodas Hashem and serving God. Obviously, different fruits and different foods represent different elements. There is that concept of eating the head of a fish. That is a chabad custom. And, um, and that represents a head of the year. So yes, these types physical symbols are reflective of different spiritual meanings. So there is definitely value in it. What Chabad doesn't do goes again to certain things Chabad is embraced as a custom in, in action. Some it's embraced a custom in concept. So that's how I would answer that question. Eating nuts on Rosh Hashanah, since we're talking. Is it, if it's customary not to eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah because egois, the name for a nut in Hebrew, egois, egois, is gematria chet, it's the same gematria as chet, which is um, it's 18, egois, seventeen, I should say, chet is ches, tes, is eight and nine is, is uh, 17, chet uh, is 18. Olive Gimel is four and six, 17. Not sure how that works, to be honest, but that's what it does say. Then why is it okay to eat nuts the rest of the year? Also, many people mistakenly think peanuts are nuts, but they are actually legumes. Therefore, is it okay to eat these nuts on Rosh Hashanah? These nuts. Thank you, and may you have a happy new year. Well, Remember to a- answer this question with another question. Chassidus asked the question, why after Shemineser, when we reach such a high level of bittel and selflessness, do we say tachnun, and we mention our sins? Sins should be earlier, when you're not on that level. Chassidus answers, because when you reach a higher level, even small, subtle things become much more prominent. So when you're on a lower level, they may not be noticed. Like think of a piece of dust on your eyeball, is irritating. A piece of dust on your finger, it's not. It's not. So when a person reaches a higher level of spiritual state and refinement, everything becomes more prominent. Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. So there's nothing wrong with eating nuts. It's a mitzvah, not a mitzvah, but it's a kosher food. But on Rosh Hashanah, when you want to be extra careful because you're setting the tone for the entire year, so anything that hints something a little bitter we don't eat, We do things that are sweet and nuts because egos is gematria chet. 
But Ogres is That's why we avoid it. So it's not about the nut per se. It's on, on Rosh Hashanah. Everything is more, even the subtler things. So we stay away from anything that hints to. And also a nut is a klipa. Klipa means a shell. Nuts have shells. And they represent things that are more concealed. You know, tough like a nut is the expression. Things that are nutty, being nutty, <laughs> that I never saw anywhere. But the idea is that nuts represent something that we need try to avoid on a special sensitive day like Rosh Hashanah. Tashlich. Hello, Rabbi. A question about the Tashlich ceremony. I believe many people mistakenly think they are casting breadcrumbs and transferring their sins to the fish. I think the real reason we throw breadcrumbs is because we are showing compassion and kindness to the fish in order to inspire God's compassion and kindness to us. If that's the case, why specifically do we do the ceremony at water with fish? If we can elicit the same feelings by throwing, let's say, a meatball over the fence to our neighbor's dog. I find many of these questions to be, they elicit a little smile. Interesting uh, suggestion. Well, there are many different reasons why we do tashlich. One of them is because fish actually, because we ask a better question, we're giving our sins over to fish? Why are they responsible for our sins? So fish represent a certain cleanliness. That's why fish don't eat shechita. You don't need to slaughter a fish because fish are always submerged in water. Ayin hara does not affect them because they're concealed. They represent in the language of Kabbalah and Chassidus, Alma Diskasya, the hidden worlds. And as such, when we go there, we're eliciting that hidden world. And yes, we're throwing our sins, but Mitzulis, we throw them Mitzulis Ayam in the, in the waves of the water, in the ocean, with the fish because we want it to be swallowed up and should be completely concealed, just like the fish that are concealed. It's not that we're passing on our sins to them. It's actually a way of healing. The breadcrumbs is a custom that not everybody uses. Chabad did not, the Rebbe never threw breadcrumbs. Some do. Some do it, as you said, to show compassion. Unfortunately, sometimes breadcrumbs end up hurting the fish. So that needs to be addressed as well. That's another topic. And, and especially here, so the case here is water and fish. This isn't about just throwing food to different animals. You know, the Shabbos, Shabbos Shira, the Maral's custom, to kasha, to the chickens, but that's a separate, different discussion. Okay. On Rosh Hashanah, it is a good idea to meditate on our shortcomings and make resolutions for positive changes for the coming year. My wife is asking me to resolve that I'll quit smoking this year. Even though I know she is right and I'm wrong, and that smoking is a dangerous and, dis- and disgusting habit, I'm very afraid. The addiction is strong and I don't quite know what I'll replace it with. Has the Rebbe ever publicly spoken about smoking or given anyone advice on the best, meth- best, messes, meth- best methods to quit smoking? Any advice would be greatly appreciated as I plan to respect my wife and try, but I'm still very afraid. Thank you. The Rebbeim had a custom before Rosh Hashanah. I should have mentioned it before, but I'll mention it now. They would go into their Rebetzin before Lichtzinen, sometime before Rosh Hashanah, and wish them a new year. The Rebbe once explained, because Rosh Hashanah represents Malchus, Binyan HaMalchus, and the, and the wife, the Rebetzin, is Malchus, the queen. So to greet Rosh Hashanah, they would go, the Rebbe would go in. It's a lesson we all can learn from. I definitely recommend listen to your wife, Malchus, especially as Rosh Hashanah comes in. The Rebbe definitely gave advice how to deal with addictions. Always needs a lot of willpower. It needs others that are a support systems to keep you going. It's very hard to do alone. And it needs an alternative. Find a good addiction. Start learning something. Start doing something that you enjoy. But in something in Gedusha, maybe starting a class, sharing something with others. Find something that reflects a positive thing and become addicted to it in a good way to replace. And the Hashem will surely help. Those are my short few suggestions. So one more Rosh Hashanah related question. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, please help me settle a disagreement with my husband. There are some appliances we need to replace in our home, and my husband says he wants to wait until after the new year to buy them. Because with the new year, with the new year comes new blessings from Hashem that have never been revealed before. I don't understand why a washing machine needs a blessing. You put soap and dirty clothes inside, and it washes everything. I secretly think my husband is just stalling because he doesn't have all the money yet and is just misusing the Torah to make excuses. 
Well, if your husband and you are both listening to this, as I said before, I would defer to the Malchus. I would tell your husband to defer to you. Not because I'm taking sides. Rosh Hashanah is coming. It's a time to be more expansive and not be so narrow-minded. And if your wife is suggesting that, that's what I would do. What's the point? Why, why make this into an argument? On the other hand, I say to you, the wife, if your husband for some reason is so adamant, I don't think that this should become an issue. Coming Rosh Hashanah, let's focus on bigger things for bigger blessings. I would try to just diffuse the whole thing by either one of you just compromising it's not that significant. That's my practical advice on this matter. Okay. So, with the last few minutes we have, I want to say a few things. There's a general holiday OCD question I was asked. Dear Rabbi, why are there no systems in place in our religion to deal with scrupulosity? Scrupulosity is when people have an obsessive compulsive disorder that is expressed through repetitive relig religious rituals, even without understanding the underpinnings of these rituals. It can also be expressed through a mechanical robotic repetition of prayers or other rituals. I'm sure it is more important if to God if we pray for only five minutes but understand and mean what we do instead of an hour of mumbling words we don't understand. Well, as I often suggest when it comes to things like this, let's just start with the davening. Davening is a long davening. It's, yes, I would choose a few prayers that you can focus on but there's something to be said about reading the words, they're holy words, even if we don't fully understand. So I don't agree with what you're saying here entirely. On the other hand, the OCD issue, complete obsession and compulsion, obsessive compulsive disorder, often religion can bring out the worst in us. This is where you have to ask yourself the question, are you doing it because God wants or because you want? I know it's easy to say God wants it, that's why I want and I want to make sure I'm careful. But... The fact of the matter, it's really more about you and your carefulness necessary than on God. God wants you to do it once. He doesn't want you to wash your hands ten times. So if you really want to do what God wants, then do it that way. So that's the first thing that a person has to understand. If you're using God and Torah to just justify your own OCD, you're undermining the whole purpose of a God in the first place. That's one thing. Find yourself a way to control yourself. It's, obviously, it's a disorder. And depends on the person finding people and support system to make sure to deal with this. I don't think it's just a holiday issue. It's an issue around the year. But holidays often brings out the worst and it very much can be very challenging to a family. See a professional and talk to someone who knows how to help mitigate how to somewhat let lower the temperature so you don't feel that obsessed to do everything repeated and so on and so forth. What is your favorite mimer from our Rabbeim about Rosh Hashanah? And could you please give a brief synopsis? May you have a happy new year. That's quite a blessing for you, Taskislo, but okay. Chesidus a blessing also for Rosh Hashanah. I don't have a favorite mimer. There's a few that come to mind. The mimerim that talk a lot about Tikka Bachayda Shefer, that talk about the renewal and the newness is always a very powerful mimerim. They talk about how to open ourselves up to this renewal through the Shir HaMailas Ma'amakim, the Tafshim Gimel, and other places. They're basically the ones that talk about how we align ourselves to access these deeper energy. You know, I mean, uh, as I said, many of my modern Rosh Hashanah, they're all excellent Maimonim that doesn't need my endorsement. So I don't really have a favorite Maimon that I would identify in this context, except the ones that I mentioned. Now, there's more to be said, but time is limited. I see the Shem Gedalia question, the Tzemach Tzadik's birthday I want to mention, which is Erev Rosh Hashanah. This is the 233rd birthday of the Tzemach Tzadik. The Alter Rebbe actually said, they say the first few prokim of Tanya, when the Erev Fridika Rebbe was born, I'm sorry, when the Tzemach Tzadik was born. So because Rosh Hashanah, that's the theme. Like a child coming to this world, well, the entire human race was born on Rosh Hashanah. Mashbir Nesei Tehi Tzadik Valti Rosha. The idea that gives the Nisham is given an oath, but also strength, like on Rosh Hashanah, to fulfill its mission and be a tzaddik, and not the opposite. So it all ties together, the Rosh Hashanah theme, the, burn of, burn, the birth of the Tzemach Tzedek, uh, uh, Rebbe, all about birth, and the Alta Rebbe's Maimon in association with it. So that's one thing to mention, to learn the beginning. The of Tanya, of course, always is fitting to do that. There's, there's lessons of, from Vayelach, which I will try to do 
either next week or another way of doing it. I will conclude with a question, a chassidist question, which is connected to Rosh Hashanah. Here, Rabbi Jacobson. Hello from Troy, New York, where some of us gather by our rabbi's house and watch your Sunday night Torah and chassidist program together. I have a question about Rosh Hashanah. We are taught that a person's lot for the year is written into a book on Rosh Hashanah. But we are also taught that the ink doesn't dry until Hashanah Rabbah. And the book isn't closed and filed away until Zeus Hanukkah. My question is, if a person can do tshuva keherafayin, which means in the, in the blink of an eye, at any time during the year and inspire new blessings to be revealed, why the need for this page in the book on Rosh Hashanah to foretell the person's upcoming year? Why not just have a blank page in which new blessings can be added every day? Very good question. Well, in Kuntur Samaya, from the Rebbe Rashab and other places, discusses a similar question. Since every day a person is judged, so what does the judgment of Rosh Hashanah accomplish? And the answer briefly is like this. Time is structured in, like in a very much of like a holograph. Rosh Hashanah is the renewal for an entire year. New energy enters for the entire year. It's unpacked each day, just like the head, the central nervous system that controls the entire body. Then it's unpacked. The body here is the days of the year, the weeks of the year, the months of the year. Now there's always an ability to adjust. But you want to have the central nervous system on that day. You want to make sure you maximize and you get the right package of energy. Then the question each day, how it will manifest, that requires prayer, could be adjusted. So just because there are things that could be changed, you still want to begin the right way. It's like someone saying, think of running a marathon. And you begin, and you don't begin properly quick enough. Of course you can catch up with your competitors, with the other runners. But imagine if you get a quick jump, a good jump, you're ahead of the game. So Rosh Hashanah gives us that charge of a completely new energy. Then, each period in time, we unpack it, and we do the best to draw it down. And yes, there can be adjustments, there could be change. Like you said, Hashanah Rabbah, Yom Kippur, Hashanah Rabbah, Zeis Hanukkah. And a person could always do tshuva. And a person could always change their destiny. But how much easier and more powerful is it when you start with Rosh Hashanah and then you use the rest of the year to either unpack it, to reveal it, or if necessary, to make it even greater and adjust and so on. That's the brief answer. So with that, though there's much more to talk about, you know, I will do the same Gedalia since it's the day after Rosh Hashanah, might as well. well who was Gedalia and why was he murdered? Does it say anywhere in the Tanakh that the villainous, sinful animals that murdered Gedalia were apprehended by the authorities and brought to justice? And if not, what can we do today to bring them and their filthy spawn to justice? The reason we fast Shem Gedalia, it's one of the fasts, it says clearly Shem Ashvi, which is the Shem of Tishrei, is because some say the second day of Rosh Hashanah, but we can't fast on that day, so we push it to the third day of Tishrei. Some say it was the Chathila, the third day of Tishrei, that he was a friendly governor appointed by appointed by the, the, by, um, by the government to be in Yisrael, and he was kind to the Jews. But since he was not a Jewish governor, somebody who felt that he wants to be from Beis David killed him, with maybe good intentions even. But since he was, he was a Gdalia, was one of a friendly to the Jews, it's considered it was a bad thing for the Jewish people, it caused a lot of problems afterwards. So we fast on that honor. The Rebbe explains Gedalia comes from the word Godel, Gedula, greatness. There's something about him that represents that. Because the ultimate goal of a fast day is not the fast day, it's the Esrotzen that it creates, the opportunity it creates to transform even the negative into the positive. That's the brief story. But the Rebbe also brings that the reason he was killed was based of it. So the fact is that also has a certain element of revealing Mashiach and Geula, However, it has also the negative side of Gedalia's killing. That's the brief story. And with that, I want to conclude and wish everybody a ksiva v'chsimateva. They said at the outset, a very good geben shtiar, b'gashmis ha'beruchnis, b'bona chayim zeyna revicha. Children and nachas from children and parnosa and livelihood and health and long life and everything else that a person needs and, and deserves more than we can even imagine. Shem should bless us with a year of only health the year of Geula Hamitis Vashleya, you know, Ployes, Tovshin Pebeis, Ployes Bakoyel, wonders in everything. And the ultimate wonder, Renu Nifloyes, 
is the gili of Pella. Even without the nun, the Pella, the ultimate wonder, the ultimate transcendence of the Gula Amitis Vashem. A good We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. My life Chassidus Applied. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by My Life Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.